We are obviously going to talk about Biden today, but first, big tech and my producers hate when I start the show like this, but I couldn't resist. A trigger warning, by the way, to all the leftists watching the show. Well, here's the thing. they The leftists will stay tuned in because they secretly can't help themselves but to listen to what I'm saying. I know because I get the emails. But here's my thought experiment that I want to start the show with today. It's actually a question. My question is, are you low risk for fatality from COVID-19 or are you high risk? And I asked this question in the spirit of, remember when that video of Joe Rogan went around? Joe Rogan, I believe, said that he was vaccinated. I'm not positive about that. But about a month or a month and a half ago, he had a clip on his show that said, if you're in your early 20s, why would you get vaccinated? You're at low risk. It's not worth the side effects. And of course, all uh, the public health conglomerate and politicians and mainstream media talking heads and leftists and blah, 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 all those people excoriated Joe Rogan for saying this even though it was perfectly common sense to say this. But the argument at the time for low-risk, otherwise healthy young people who are not at risk or not at high risk at all for COVID-19 fatality, the argument at the time is that the low-risk people, if they have COVID-19, even if it doesn't personally impact them in a serious or permanent or fatal way, they could transmit that virus to high-risk people. So out of love of neighbor, out of love of community, et cetera, you should get the vaccine to protect vulnerable people in your community. So that's the premise of my question. And now we get to the question. So now the CDC, this is not my thought. This is not my conclusion. This is not my inference. The CDC says that people who have been vaccinated with the COVID-19 vaccine can still contract COVID-19 virus and they can still transmit that virus to other people, the same as if you're unvaccinated. You've seen all the reports about the load in uh, the nasal load of the virus load in your nasal passageways or whatever it is the CDC is talking about. This is according to the CDC. So my question is, the love of neighbor and community argument falls apart if vaccinated people can actually still contract and transmit the virus. So if you're low risk, what is the argument now for getting the vaccine? Because you don't need to avoid fatality. You statistically aren't in that risk category anyway. And it's not about protecting high-risk people around you because you can still contract the virus and you can still transmit the virus. So what actually is the argument? This, and this is a good faith question that I'm asking. If you have answers, go ahead, reach out to me, let me know. What is the argument now for getting the COVID-19 vaccine if you are low risk, if you know that you can still contract it and transmit it to somebody who's high risk? That's my question. That's the thought experiment. Like I said, I know big tech hates when I ask questions like that, but it's a good faith question. I really want to know. Oh, Fauci, by the way, of course, doesn't ever want to answer questions like this. He he actually made a comment which is absurd and ridiculous and stupid and just makes you give a big roll of the eyes. But he's actually corroborating my question in a sense with his comment. He was asked on television about college football starting and all the people going into the college football stadiums, packing the college football stadiums. And he said, I don't think it's smart. Outdoors is always better than indoors. But even when you have such a congregate setting of people close together, first, you should be vaccinated. And when you do have congregate settings, particularly indoors, you should be wearing a mask. So a lot of these college football stadiums or many of these college football stadiums actually are requiring people to be vaccinated, I believe. Um, so his, his comment here, like I said, it's fearful. He seems like the biggest germaphobe in the in the entire world. Um, he's not following his own recommendations. He's admitting that the vaccine doesn't actually protect people from transmitting this virus. So it goes back to that same thing. It goes back to that same question. Why should low-risk people get this if it doesn't stop you from contracting it, it doesn't stop you from transmitting it to the people you were told you were protecting by getting it in the first place because you're not protecting yourself because you don't need the protection because you're low-risk? That's my question. 
That's my question. Of course, Fauci pivots, and we don't even have to get into this. He pivots, of course, to vaccine mandates that he thinks we should be seeing more vaccine mandates. But if the vaccine isn't effective, then what's the purpose of that, even if the government had the purview to issue those mandates, which they don't? Um, here's the thing. The evolution of this pandemic has um, been astounding. And I'm not talking about the evolution of the virus itself. I'm talking about the evolution of the government's response. Remember a year and a half ago, we were told to lock down for two weeks to slow the spread. Two weeks to slow the spread is what we were told. Then that expanded to a month to save hospitals from overflowing. Six months to flatten the curve, we were told. We would have to wear masks for just one month, two months, and then it will be over. That will end the pandemic, end COVID-19, we were told. Then we were told, actually, just wait for the vaccine. Once the vaccine is here, it'll be fine. Everything can go back to normal. But when the vaccine doesn't work, now you might need a booster. You can still transmit the infection. You're told to still wear a mask outdoors, possibly even indoors, or opposite, told to wear a mask uh, indoors, possibly even outdoors, and you can never question the government again. Especially about their definition of a vaccine. We're gonna get to that in just a second. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. So the CDC made a stealth edit to their websites when it comes to vaccines. And the stealth edit, they didn't announce that they were changing the verbiage, the definition of a particular word, which is very significant. And I want to show it to you in just a second. But first, I want to talk about The Spectator. As the longest running magazine in the world, The Spectator believes that journalism must be witty and insightful that ideas should be discussed without the constant threat of cancellation. How refreshing is that, by the way, to actually believe that ideas should be discussed, that no idea is so dangerous that it should be silenced by the government, that you have a right to speak and your idea should be debated in the court of public opinion. Well, The Spectator believes this. They're not right-wing or left-wing. They believe in challenging, informing, and entertaining readers. As a publication, they also believe that life is bigger than politics. They cover art, culture, food, wine, travel, and life all around. If you sign up today, you will receive three months free of both the print and digital magazine, plus a free spectator hat. That's pretty cool. Just use the offer code Liz at checkout to redeem this special offer just for listeners of this podcast. Go to spectatorworld.com slash special offer and use the offer code Liz. I love the spectator and I think that you will too. They talk about everything from the Biden administration to book reviews. They're going to entertain you. So sign up today to get three months of the spectator for free, plus a free spectator hat when you subscribe at spectatorworld.com slash special offer. And do not forget to use the offer code Liz at checkout to redeem that offer. Spectatorworld.com slash special offer. I really truly think that the speech from President Biden last night was the worst speech that I have ever heard. And I don't say that to be hyperbolic. I say that because I don't know about you, but I had this visceral response to this speech. I mean, first of all, just listen to it for yourself. Take a listen. My message to unvaccinated Americans is this. What more is there to wait for? What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe, and convenient. The vaccine is FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin, and your refusal has cost all of us. So please, do the right thing. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you, the people you work with, the people you care about, the people you love. My job as president is to protect all Americans. So tonight, 
I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. God bless you all and all those who continue to serve on the front lines of this pandemic. And may God protect our troops. Get vaccinated. Truly, never in my life have I heard a president, the president of the United States, give such a mean, vicious, divisive, unscientific speech targeting 80 million Americans. He's supposed to be the president of all Americans, targeting 80 million Americans as bad, evil people because of their personal healthcare choices. Biden was nice, we were told. Biden's a moderate. Biden's a centrist. He'll bring the country together. He'll unify us. No. Biden is a tyrant. He's a bully. He's targeting 80 million Americans. What happened to love your neighbor? That's long out the window. Remember when we were told, get the vaccine out of love for your community and love for your neighbor? Well, now, according to the President of the United States, we've entered the era of hate your neighbor. He certainly showed us an example of that. Joe Biden, in his tone against the 80 million Americans who have chosen not to get the vaccine, they have the opportunity to get it if they want it, which means that his responsibility has been discharged. They have chosen not to get it for reasons of their own, Biden was harsher against the 80 million Americans who have chosen not to get the vaccine than he was in his tone against the Taliban, the terrorists. It's not about your freedom, he said. It's not about your personal choice. Yahuh? What on earth are you talking about? Of course it is. This is such an obvious statement. I feel that this is elementary even to say, but I suppose in this day and age, we, day and age, we can't take this for granted. Of course whether or not you get a vaccine is about your freedom. It's about your personal choice. Of course, it's your choice. But Biden says it's about protecting yourself and those around you. That is a very sneaky, a very dangerous phrase right there. Because liberals will use that idea of loving yourself and loving others. And I say that in quotation marks because that's not what love is. They're just branding it as love to use it as justification to force you to do something that you don't want to do. The worst kind of tyrant is the benevolent tyrant who's forcing you to violate your own conscience, maybe your religious beliefs, for your own good, he tells us. And then he asks the 80 million unvaccinated Americans, what more do you need to see? As if, by the way, that every person who has decided not to have the COVID-19 vaccine is simply uneducated. They simply lack the information. As if the reasons that people choose not to get the vaccine are completely invalid, which is so fundamentally insulting to 80 million people. What more do you need to see, he asked. Well, I'll tell you, Mr. President, what more Americans, millions and millions, 80 million Americans need to see. We need to see no more corruption from Dr. Fauci, who is still, despite the fact that he personally funded gain-of-function research at China's Wuhan Institute of Virology, he is still in charge of your coronavirus task force. What more do we need to see? We want to see apologies for funding this research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology because probably it was a lab leak that started this pandemic. What more do we need to see? We need to see honesty from public health officials about the short-term impacts of the COVID-19 vaccine and honesty about who's actually at risk of this virus. 
What more do we need to see? We need to see honesty and science. The scientific studies about masks, the ones that the methodology is honest, the, one with, the ones with randomized control arms to their studies, not the politicized ones. What more do we need to see? We need to see long-term studies about the efficacy and safety of this vaccine. What more do we need to see? We need to see you, Mr. President, talking about acknowledging the natural immunity that 100 million Americans have to this virus because they have already contracted it. The science shows that natural immunity is more robust and long-lasting than artificial vaccinated immunity, and yet you ignore it completely. That's what we need to see, Mr. President, in order to give you even one iota of credibility when you are bullying an enormous minority of the population, an enormous portion of the population who doesn't trust the government and who can possibly blame them why they wouldn't trust the government. In December, Joe Biden said there will be no vaccine mandates. In July, Jen Psaki said there will be no vaccine mandates from the federal government. You lie to us, Mr. President, time and time again. It's now September and you're issuing vaccine mandates. You told us you wouldn't, and now you are. Employers with 100 or more employees are now going to be forced to mandate it to their employees under penalty of what, a $14,000 fine from the federal government if they refuse to comply in each and every instance? Any healthcare center that's associated with Medicare or Medicaid, all their employees are forced to be vaccinated. Executive branch employees and contractors of the federal government, they're mandated to be vaccinated with no testing option. They have to or they must quit. You lied to us. And now you're mandating vaccines. This is why I say that obviously Biden is a tyrant. That's the reality of the situation. Because let's take these one at a time. Decreeing that citizens of the United States of America cannot partake in our self-governance Partake, meaning work in the executive branch of the federal government, unless you take a vaccine that you don't want to take, that he wants you to take, you're not allowed to participate in our self-governance. The fact that our citizenry has allowed this kind of power-hungry power grab by the president of the United States is appalling. And how does Joe Biden think that he has the authority, the just authority, under the Constitution to decree that businesses with over 100 employees must mandate vaccines? See, this is where Biden becomes worse than a tyrant. He's not just a tyrant. He is forcing you to become a tyrant if you own a business, if you're part of the backbone of this country, if you employ other people, if you are what makes our free market work. You are being forced by a politician to become a tyrant. It's like the mafia. He's weaponizing private industry, threatening private industry if they don't do his enforcing for him. And by the way, any healthcare facility that has Medicaid or Medicare funding to them, I don't blame you. That's how our system works. But this is an example of what happens when you allow the federal government to be in charge of anything any part of your life, any part of your healthcare, at any whim of the politician who is in charge of that, they'll threaten to withhold what they're giving you, whether it's money or whether it's care, until you comply with what they want you to do, their ideology, in this case, their vaccine. 
This was the most hateful speech I have heard a president given in my lifetime. And the whisper at the end, get vaccinated? It's creepy. It's chilling. This is how authoritarian regimes operate. Now, fortunately, the bright side is this overstep by Biden is so wildly extreme, it is out of step with the majority of the American public. Joe Biden has jumped the shark here, and he can and should expect backlash at the ballot. Any Democrat representative at the local level, the state level, or the federal level, in Congress, in the Senate, and yes, in the executive branch, who supports this tyrannical power grab by the Biden administration should be voted out, period. This is a litmus test conservatives should levy at the ballot box. It's also a reason, by the way. You'll notice that Biden referenced several times in his speech rulemaking at various executive agencies. Rulemaking is what happens in the administrative state when the legislature has delegated their authority to the executive branch, to these agencies filled with unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats who make the rules that the legislators should have made in the legislation. But no. Now Biden just orders them by a decree, by an executive order to make a rule mandating vaccines. If we want to get rid of this behavior, if we want to cut back the size and scope of government, if we want to actually be in charge of our own lives, to put freedom and liberty and justice on a higher pedestal than a government official telling us what to do with our lives, we must abolish the administrative state. That is abundantly clear. Now, what's going to happen in the next couple of days is we are going to, next couple of days, next couple of weeks, next couple of months, maybe even next couple of years, we, the American people, the conservative movement especially, are going to need to sit down and thoughtfully examine how did we get to this point? How did we get to this place in our country where not only Democrats who are Marxists and communists want to infringe on our rights, they have for a long time, that in itself is not new. How did we get to a point that they are A, able to do this, and B, that the American people have become so mushy, so docile and so compliant that they allowed this to happen without stopping it. These are not rhetorical questions. These are questions that we are gonna tackle here on the show over the next days, weeks, months, years, because it's important to understand that this is not a one-off situation. This is not a one-time thing. This is not an isolated incident. This is the result, the culmination of decades of indoctrination, of burgeoning government, of conservatives without spines. And this, this is the pinnacle. This is what happens when we allow this. So slowly, as conservatives, as Republicans, and as any independent-minded people who want our nation to be what it has always been, we're going to have to unravel this strand by strand, bit by bit, until we have untangled this horrible web which now traps us in Biden's vaccine mandates. So please, Buckle in for the ride because this is where we start. This is not where we end. The CDC has made a stealth edit to the government website, a stealth edit to the definition of vaccine. So if you ask the question, what is a vaccine? The CDC answers that on their website, but they've changed what is a vaccine. They changed it at a very pivotal time. So August 26, 2021, and before that, the CDC definition of a vaccine was as follows. Quote, a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease. Okay, 
I think we're all familiar with what the definition of a vaccine is. Well, well, on September 1st, 2021, the CDC's definition of a vaccine changed. They now define vaccine and vaccination as a preparation that is used to stimulate the body's immune response against diseases to produce protection from a certain disease. Well, that might sound like a small change, but it's actually not a small change. They removed the idea of immunity from a vaccine. Now it's just supposed to stimulate your body's immune response to produce protection from a disease. It's not supposed to create immunity. They are literally changing what a vaccine is based on the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, this in and of itself is significant, right? When a definition, especially a medical definition, is changed without it being announced, the standards of the medical care associated with that particular preparation, if you will, are going to change. So we the people should care about this because it's going to change the recommendations from doctors and public health officials and the CDC and Big Pharma about how we treat our bodies with medication. This is a big deal. But it's also a big deal politically. Politically, it's a big deal because Alex Berenson, my friend Alex Berenson, who has been one of the foremost journalists reporting on the truth about COVID-19, you know, start to finish, the, the unreported truths, he calls them, he was suspended from Twitter permanently, kicked off of Twitter permanently because he suggested that the definition of the COVID-19 vaccines are exactly what the CDC has now redefined the vaccine to being. This is what Alex Berenson tweeted. I believe it was on August 28th. He said, it doesn't stop infection or transmission. Don't think of it as a vaccine. Think of it at best as a therapeutic with a limited window of efficacy and a terrible side effect profile that must be dosed in advance to illness. And we want to mandate it and sanity. So Alex Berenson then uh, said, he said, I tweet that we should not think of the mRNA vaccines as vaccines because they do not stop infection. Twitter rules my tweet misleading and suspends me for, quote, violation of our COVID-19 misinformation rules. He then says this defamatory act prevents me from using my account anywhere in the world, end quote. And then just days later, literally days later, the CDC changes their definition of what is a vaccine. How shady is that? How absolutely shady. So they're not only changing the medical standards, which will impact the recommendations that doctors give you, public health officials give you about your medical care. They're silencing people who suggested that very change two days beforehand. It, the whole thing is Orwellian. They are changing. They are redefining. Anytime the left redefines a word, anytime the left redefines an institution, anytime the left tells you that what you thought a word meant actually means something different, you can be sure that the left is trying to sneak something past you. They are trying to change objective reality, and we should not let them. A statue of Robert E. Lee was removed in Virginia, and I have a very nuanced take on this, a very nuanced take, which we're going to get to in one second. But first, I want to talk to you about ExpressVPN. So we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and protects your family's security online, right? But I recently learned that you can also use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are ostensibly only available in other countries. All you have to do is fire up your ExpressVPN app. You change your location from the US to the UK, for example. You refresh your streaming service, and that's all there is to it. See, ExpressVPN, what it does is it hides your IP address so it lets you control where you want these websites, where you want Netflix or Hulu to think that you are located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries, and then you have access to the Netflix libraries that are supposed to be available just in those other countries. And again, it's not just Netflix. It's all kind of streaming service. Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. Um, there's never any buffering or lag with ExpressVPN, which is why ExpressVPN is better than the rest of the VPN services. 
ExpressVPNs is also compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, et cetera, et cetera. If you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash Liz, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself and your family online at expressvpn.com slash Liz. You'll be glad you did. So in Richmond, Virginia, the statue of Robert E. Lee was removed, and this was not removed by vandals, by the way. This was removed by um, by the city. This was something that actually progressed the way that it was supposed to progress. And this is what I mean. Um, I am not in favor of vandals tearing down these statues, even if it's of people who I find to be questionable or even traitors to the union. And I know, like I said, my view here is nuanced, so hear me out. I think you might agree. Um, I'm not in favor of vandals just throwing red paint to symbolize blood or tearing down these statues. I do think, however, that the people of a certain city or a certain state absolutely have every right to vote to remove whatever statue that they want to remove from their public square. That's totally within their purview. They're allowed to do that regardless of whether other people agree or not. So that's what happened in Richmond. Um, and you can see this You can see this short clip, and it's important in this clip. So it's not it's not anything spectacular, but the part that really to focus on is the political part. The political part is the noise happening in the background, the cheers, and even the person on the forklift or the um, the forklift next to next to um, the statue encouraging these cheers. Take a listen to this. Okay, so as you can see, it's non-spectacular. It's not like this was uh, taken down with a wrecking ball. It's a very slow process, but you can hear the cheers getting louder in the background, and you can see the guy in the tree lift or whatever that machinery is called um, encouraging it. He's encouraging the crowds to go wild. So the, the video itself is a minute or two minutes long. We don't need to watch the whole thing. That's the essentially the part that you need to see. And like I said, my, my views on this are nuanced because the people of a city or a state have an absolute right to decide whether they want this statue to be in their public square or not. They decided they didn't want to. They took it down um, using due process, and that's fine. They can do that. Now, whether this is a wise decision or not is then a different question. Is it a wise decision to remove Confederate statues, or does it erase history? So here's my view. This is my view on it. Robert E. Lee was a traitor to the Union. He was a traitor to the union. So should we include Robert E. Lee in history? Should children in our country and everybody in our country really learn about the nuances, not the nuances, learn about the details of the Confederacy, learn about the details of the Civil War? Absolutely. We should not whitewash history. We should not change history. We should not rewrite history. We should not hide history, especially, by the way, the bad parts of history. We should learn the bad parts of history in even greater detail so that we don't repeat it as a nation. But should we honor characters or members of history, people in our country even, who advocated for bad things? Should we honor Robert E. Lee after he fought against the Union? He was a traitor to the Union. And that is where I would have to say no. We should not honor. There's a difference between honoring and learning history. And I think that there is a very valid argument to be made that Confederate statues like this statue of Robert E. Lee were not there for historical purposes. They were there to honor this individual. And so they have every right. Again, these people have every right to make that decision for themselves and um, to remove that statue in a lawful way, which is what they did. I have zero problem with that. However, and this is the big caveat, however, 
the political aspect of that video. These people who want most of the people on the left who want Confederate statues removed are not doing so with a nuanced viewpoint. They're not saying, well, we don't want to honor someone who did something wrong, but we do want to make sure that history is learned. No. Most of the people on the left who are advocating against Confederate statues aren't just advocating against Confederate statues. They also want George Washington and Thomas Jefferson to be removed. They also want the founding fathers to be um, completely obliterated from history. They want to demonize every white man who's ever done anything in our nation, good or bad. That is not a good faith argument, and I certainly don't align with those people. Those people bring to mind the quote from George Orwell when George Orwell describes the dystopian society where revisionist history is king, in which he says, every record has been destroyed or falsified, every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed, every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. That's what George Orwell said in 1984. And that is what we are seeing from these leftists who want to redefine everything according to race. They want to reinvent history, rewrite history. And they're doing this through all of these cultural channels. Now, I want to give a specific example here because I don't want to be hypothetical. I don't want to be vague. When I say cultural channels, I'm talking about, yes, the indoctrination of children, not just in school. I'm talking children's toys. A group called Moms for Liberty in Tennessee posted pictures on Twitter of American girl dolls in a toy store that are now disseminating anti-racist garbage. For those of you watching, you can see the photos of this on the screen. For those of you listening, it's exactly what I just described. It's American Girl Dolls with anti-racist garbage. They have a book on how to be an anti-racist. It is critical race theory now packaged for your little girl in the form of a doll. How to become an anti-racist. This is something that will greatly impact the children of America if, of course, the children of America are allowed off their iPads and to actually play with a doll. But here's the thing, like, are we supposed to under, under the terms of what it means to be an anti-racist, are we supposed to rename the American Girl doll because America is systemically racist? Is the doll racist if she's white? Is the doll racist because she's named the American Girl doll? How do we even know she's a girl? Obviously, that's, obviously that's me being cheeky, but these cultural channels are influencing the rewriting and reinvention of history in our country. Again, and it's focused on children because children are the future generation. They are the future voters. It's their ideology that 20, 30, 40 years will become um, the prevalent ideology in our country. That's why this teacher, I'm about to show you this video clip of a teacher explaining exactly how she brings critical race theory into the classroom while denying what she's doing. She claims that she's not indoctrinating students, but she literally talks about her goal being the indoctrination of students with anti-racism. Take a listen to this. So this comment was put on a video that had absolutely nothing to do with politics, but let's dive in because teaching is political. The education system, the curriculum, school zoning, funding, standardized testing, all of these things can create and further lead to class and racial inequalities and impact life chances for our students. 
Especially as a history teacher, my students deserve somebody who is going to confront and challenge the injustices and untruths that are in our history that have led to discrimination. So yes, teaching is political because as we develop curriculum and have conversations with our students, equity and anti-racism need to be in the forefronts of our minds, as well as giving our kids the means to gather factual information and form their own opinion. But this is wildly different than indoctrination or propaganda because I'm not trying to sway my students' opinions. I want them to form their own educated opinions. What I'm doing is challenging a broken system and hopefully laying the groundwork for progress and justice. And then we have Robin DeAngelo, who is one of the most ridiculous people in our country. She's the author of White Fragility, and she now rakes in, you know, millions of dollars, I assume, from speaking to other white people, telling them that they're racist, uh, usually via Zoom meetings. She rakes in these tens of thousands of dollars per speech. But she claims that um, even when she was an unborn child, even when she was inside her mother, the forces of race were already operating on her. Again, this is just to paint children as racist so that to justify the re-education of these children. Take a look at this, it's horrifying. White people are invested in the racist status quo for, for lots of reasons. Um, and I think it's unfortunate, but I do think we have to see it as in our own best interests. So a couple things have to happen there. One is, it's a little more abstract, but it's like you almost have to un, un dismantle your very identity to the core and rebuild it. Because even before I took my first breath, as my mother carried me in pregnancy, the forces of race were operating on, on us. And then, of course, it's not just in schools. It's not just in Toyland. Now we have um, the next stage. So what happens? First, you have elementary school, then you have high school, then you have college, and then after college, you get your first job, right? So the tech industry is largely made of uh, millennials at this point. Well, Google is now indoctrinating post-college their millennial employees that work for them. They had anti-racist training, a whole initiative on anti-racist um, ideology that claimed that America is a system of white supremacy and that all Americans are raised to be racist. Get this. This is this was reported exclusively by Christopher Rufo. Um, according to Google's anti-racist training, even Ben Shapiro is depicted as a layer of white supremacy on the white supremacy pyramid. This pyramid culminates in genocide. Ben Shapiro, a Jewish man who is the number one target of anti-Semitic attacks in the entire country, they're depicting him, a Jew, who, by the way, are the number one targets of white supremacists as being a layer in the white supremacy pyramid. I mean, if that doesn't just gross you out to the core, I don't know what will. Google is having their employees deconstruct their racial and sexual identities, rank themselves in a hierarchy of power and privilege in order to re-educate them, to adjust their actions. And of course, the people behind Google's initiative, you guessed it, how to be an anti-racist himself, Ibram Kendi. Ibram Kendi is echoing what Robin DeAngelo said, that even children as young as three months can be racist. He said to be raised in the U.S. is to be raised to be racist, and to be raised to be racist is to be raised to be almost addicted to racist ideas. And of course, if you deny being a racist, that's the heartbeat, he said, of racism. The heartbeat of racism is denial, and the sound of that denial is I'm not racist. Can you believe this? This is what's infiltrating. This is why when these leftists wanna take down Confederate statues, 
why I don't necessarily hop on board. I don't have a problem with not honoring Confederate figures. They were traitors to the Union. But I don't believe that these leftists have pure motives because they've proven to us that they don't. They're not operating in good faith. These leftists want to rewrite history. Nicole Hannah-Jones was part of Google's initiative. She said that she created the 1619 Project to verify her lifelong theory that everything in the United States can be traced to slavery. She says, if you name anything in America, I can relate it back to slavery. If you are white in this country, she said, you are a beneficiary of a 350-year system of white supremacy. These are the people who want to take down these statues. So it's impossible to have anything other than a nuanced view on whether or not we should remove these statues from our public forums. And by the way, Twitter de-verified Chris Rufo. They removed his blue check mark. Removed it. Completely removed it. Now, the culmination of all of this, by the way, is a professor at Duquesne University, a Catholic university, for shame, Duquesne, a Catholic um, university professor says that white people, the idea of white people committing suicide to obliterate whiteness could be thought of as a thought exercise, as an ethical act. Take a listen to this. He made the assertion that white people should commit suicide as an ethical act. And here's a, a quote from him directly. The reality in South Africa today is that most white people spend their whole lives only engaging black South Africans in subservient positions. My question is then how can a person not be racist if that's the way they live their lives? The only way then for white people to become part of Africa is not to exist as white people anymore. If the goal is to dismantle white supremacy and white supremacy is white culture, then the goal has to be, has to, be to dismantle white culture and ultimately white people themselves. The total integration into Africa by white people will also automatically then mean the death of white people as white as a concept would not exist anymore. So here's the kind of crazy gambit um, of this talk. I want to suggest that psychoanalytically, we could even make the argument that there was something ethical in Delport's statements. Now, the university defends him and says it was he was quoting somebody else and that they do not in any way, shape, or form endorse suicide by anybody. But the thing is, this is the logical conclusion of what the left is telling us when they're trying to indoctrinate our nation in this radical leftist ideology, this racialism, this Marxism this anti-white ideology. They're reducing people to the color of their skin and they're defining skin color as being not just the amount of melanin in your skin, but they're painting you as being guilty of the sins of people in the past who happen to share the same color of skin as you. I mean, this is an evil, evil ideology. And so when I heard this professor say that there's an argument to be made that there's something ethical about the idea of white people committing suicide, it almost didn't surprise me because what else would be the logical conclusion of this poisonous ideology? Well, the other logical conclusion, by the way, is Larry Elder was attacked by a radical leftist activist this week in California who tried to hurl an egg at his head and then got violent. Take a look at this.
Michael, stop. Imagine if this were a black Democrat. Imagine for one second if a black Democrat was attacked in this way. But it's okay when it's Larry Elder, according to the left, because he's a black Republican. If you're a black Republican, then you forfeited the color of your skin because the color of your skin isn't just the amount of melanin you have in your skin. It's your core identity. It's who you are. And who you are, based on the color of your skin, must be intricately tied with your politics or else you're a traitor who's not really black. That's why you don't hear about this on the news at all. The website of the National Archives under the Biden administration, this is where the Constitution lives online, has a harmful language alert at the top of the page a harmful language alert at the top of the page. This, my friends, is rewriting history. It's rewriting history, reinventing the past, redefining words in order to demonize our country. This harmful language warning, by the way, does not appear on a page on the federal government website about Jim Crow. Just so you know. This is what the left wants. This is what the left is doing about race. This is why you can't help but have a nuanced opinion when it comes to Confederate statues because those behind wanting to get rid of it don't care about justice and equality and freedom and all the tenets of our country that have made us the greatest nation that the world has ever known. No, it's all part of their strategy to usher in communism and Marxism into our country and they're using racialism to do it. And there you hear the great and powerful Jay Hay is cutting me off. But before we go, before I close out for today, I want to give a shout out to the locals VIP of the week. That would be Ricky Stu. Ricky, my man, welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show community on locals. We are delighted to have you. Please introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you're from, why you're a conservative, what's the most important issue to you, and what you hope to gain by being part of this wonderful, vibrant community of like-minded people uh, on locals who are all you know, fighting for the good things in America. We have a great time over on Locals. We do a lot of interactive things, um, question and answers, live stream hot takes, articles that are of everybody's interest. We hope that if you are not already a part of the community that you will join us. Ricky, welcome. Thanks for being here. I know that the other people in the community, tens of thousands of us, are delighted to have you uh, a part of it. Anybody watching, if you have not subscribed to this show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your pods, please do so and leave us a review. Leave us a five-star rating, if you can, on the platform that you choose. It helps the show immensely. It helps us climb the charts, which helps other people discover the show, which helps more people hear the reality of the thing, which is what we're all about. Um, that is it for me for today. In the meantime, think for yourself. You know, you know the gag here. Think for yourself. Use critical thought. Reject critical theory. And don't let anybody anybody, including Joe Biden, bully you into being a, squi a, a squish. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzl. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Production and Talent Coordinator, Matt Toffler. And Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.